Welcome to Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. If you're looking for something more, something different, something better, this is your opportunity. Over the next hour, we'll talk about inspiration for personal and professional success. Now, here is your host, Dr. Barbara Young. Well, hello there, and a big special shout out to my national, international, and my local fans and listeners. We are coming live from California. I want to first of all thank all of you for your support and for tuning in or downloading the Transformation for Success show each week. And for those of you who might be new listeners, the shows are rebroadcast on the Empowerment and Business channels on Fridays at noon. Transformation for Success is a live radio broadcast and is immediately downloaded in podcast format for iTunes, Roku, and Stitcher. So please share with your friends and colleagues this information. And you can also check out my television online network, Transformation Success TV, on VoiceAmericaTV.com. We got a lot of new shows coming up this month. So on the Transformation Radio Talk Show, this month we're calling it our Trailblazers Month and showcasing guests who are trailblazers in their fields of expertise. So today in my studio, I have one such trailblazer, Mr. Matthew Knowles, who has been referred to as one of the most influential entrepreneurs of our generation in the music and entertainment industry. The word used to sum up this incredible individual is he's an author, professor, lecturer, public speaker, entrepreneur, music executive, artist manager, and founder of World Entertainment. Mr. Matthew Knowles has garnered countless awards for his many achievements in business, the music industry, and community partnerships. He has traveled all over the world as a keynote speaker, guest lecturer, and panelist at various prestigious universities and events. He's also currently a professor at Prayer View A&M. I'm so excited, but he's also a best-selling author, and he's written three books, The DNA of Achievers, Racism from the Eyes of a Child, and The Emancipation of Slaves Through Music, which he'll share a bit about them later in the interview. So please help me welcome Mr. Matthew Knowles to the show. Hello, Mr. Knowles. How are you, Dr. B? Hey. I see that you love to be called Dr. B. I like that. I'm calling you Dr. Professor Mogul Entertainment Industry, <laughs> Mr. Matthew Knowles. Well, you you left out Beyonce and Solange's daddy because I get called that a lot of times. Beyonce and Solange's dad. I'll I'll go through the airport and then somebody come up. Are you Beyonce's daddy? I'll be like, No, I'm Solange's daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm telling you, that's an incredible. It's an incredible statement. I'll tell you, but it's great, and I want to recognize you as a dad, most importantly. And I know that the listeners are going to benefit today from your transformational journey and benefit from your sharing your experiences to educate people and to motivate them to greater success. And so I want to ask my listeners, are you really ready to hear from Beyonce and Solange? So be sure be sure to have your friends download the show if they can't hear it live. And, you know, for those of you, if you're not driving, I want to tell you, take notes. And if you have any questions of Matthew, you can call in 1-888-346-9141. 1-888-346-9141. 
346-9141, because I'm sure he'll be glad to answer your inquiries. But let's get on with the show today, because um, Matthew, you've done so much as a young man from a small town of Gadsden, Alabama. Wow. How did it all begin for you? I just want to know. <laughs> Inquiring you minds. Know, I, uh, I've had a very, very unique childhood and, and life, quite frankly. I'm very grateful, very, very grateful. Mm-hmm. But I grew up uh, in a really small town in Gaston, Alabama, uh, 30,000 people. We're talking 1952. Uh, that was the era of George Wallace. Segregation yep. now, segregation Tomorrow, segregation forever. That was his motto. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother grew up in Marion, Alabama, and went, actually went to high school with Coretta King. Wow. And when my mom came to Gaston, she took that torch of desegregation and integration with her. Um, I was kind of the sacrificial lamb, uh, you might want to call it. I had to go to years of therapy because of racial trauma. I never, Dr. B, went to a black school. We're talking born in 1952. I never went to a black school in Gaston, Alabama, from elementary to high, junior high school to high school. And then when I went to college, I went to a desegregated University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Now, how did it so, happen that you, you didn't go to, uh, you went to these elementary schools uh, in Gadsden? Was it, there wasn't a result of busing at that time, no? No, because George Wallace had this um, law that he passed called freedom of choice. Okay. Where you had the freedom of choice to go to any school you wanted to in Alabama. However, there was an exclamation around freedom of choice, and that was, you are on your own if you are black and go to a white school. We're not protecting you. Oh, I get it. So did you have a hard time, or was it a struggle for you? It was. You know, I, uh, uh, I've been called every name you can imagine. I've been arrested as a kid. A lot of kids, a lot of people don't realize in that desegregation movement, there were a lot of children that played very, very uh, prominent roles. Uh, police didn't make any distinction between a woman, a man, a child. Uh, it was equal opportunity for getting beat, electric prodded, uh, being arrested. Uh, it was some very, very tough times and some very extreme hardships. And, and folks need to know, and I always tell young people, I walked through that valley to see what we had to go through so we could have the opportunity to vote. Uh, And I don't take that lightly. I know. And, you know, I I know I'm probably segueing into this because I was going to talk about it later. But when you talk about your experiences, and, yes, you were arrested, and you're making good sense because (laughs) I was uh, doing that era myself. I graduated from high school in 1954. I went to an all-black school. Absolutely. But one of the things that you wrote this book uh, racism from the eyes of a child was, and you are you chronicling in that book your experiences because it seems like it, it was pretty much biogra- autobiographical. Racism from the eyes of a child was that your story, and you're letting the world know it, it, what really went on from your point of view. Yeah, it's it, it's certainly Doctor B. That's exactly. I'll give you a two minute uh, uh, version of the intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
every summer, most summers, my mother would take my brother Jesse, who was 10 years older than me, mm-hmm. to Marion, Alabama, to my grandparents. My mother and my grandmother were like oil and water. They just didn't get along. Uh, this particular night, my mother decided around 10 o'clock, she had argued with my grandmother, Hester, decided she was going to take my brother and I, and we were going to go to the nearest neighbor. So we had to go and leave our grandparents who had uh, a dirt road that would lead you to the highway. So here we are, 10 o'clock, no lights other than the stars and the moon. We're walking up the road. And then my mother's body language changed, and we begin to hear horns in the distance and lights coming over the, 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 from the distance. So she, she quickly told us to, we have to get in the bushes, and we have to get in the bushes now. And so here I am. I'm a five-year-old kid, and I don't understand the who and the why of what's going on. And <laughs> as the horns got louder and the lights got brighter, my mother literally got on top of me and told my brother, if anything happened, y'all run up under that barbed wire fence, and you just run as fast as you can. And then my mother started praying, and I started crying, and she told me, be quiet. You have to be quiet. And so finally the cars passed. And we were able to get out out from the bushes, and it was a KKK rally. That's how my book started, a true story Wow! racism from wow. the eyes of a child. Wow. Wow. I, I know that made an impact on you as a five-year-old. But you know, the, the interesting part about it is that how you have accomplished so much, uh, uh, you know, and achieved so much, even going to, you know, Fisk, you graduated from Fisk in 1974. I mean, the things that you've done, what, are you, what do you think contributed to the drive that you had to be successful? Well, I think it was two things. I, I think... Having the parents that I had, my, my, my parents weren't rich at all. They were poor. My dad made $30 a week as a truck driver. My mom made $15 a week as a colored maid. Uh, my dad convinced those, the white owners of that the trucking company to let him have the truck to use at his disposal at all times. So my dad used to go and tear down old houses and sell the copper and the metals. Uh, he would then, if you had a car sitting around, he often in a, in a country in the south, people would just, when a car broke down, they just leave them in the front yard. He would come and buy them off of you and, and sell all of the parts in the car. My mother used to convince that uh, white woman who she worked for, could she, anything she threw away, towels, apparel, anything to please give it to her and to ask her friends to give it to her. And on the weekend, my mother and her two best friends made these beautiful quilts that they would sell. I learned entrepreneurship from my parents. I, I learned that, that, that ability to make something happen out of nothing. That was part one of it. Part two was being one of the first blacks being laughed at in school, being made to feel that you were less than and not as important has always given me the drive to be the very best. I remember my first day at Litchfield Junior High, and we went to a reading class, English class, rather. Uh, And Mr. Jones, really kind white man, we all had to stand up and read a paragraph. I stood up, I read a paragraph and made a mistake. And all the white kids started laughing, started throwing uh, those little uh, 
uh, uh, uh, airplane things they used to throw when you were a kid at each yes. other. And it made me feel like I, I wanted to disappear. And mm-hmm. I never forgot that feeling. And that's been also a driver for me. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people, there are some people who use those experiences that propel them into success. Some people, they they fall behind and they never achieve what God intended for them to achieve. So that's interesting that you say that. So it really sparked you all these early lessons of betrayals and put downs and people laughing at you sparked you to become successful. You know, when I when I think about it, um, Matthew, when did you begin to realize that you were destined for greatness? Well, I think it was really in high school. Um, you know, a couple of things happened. Again, all goes back to this, this racial thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could not, I was tall and skinny in, in, in junior high. I, I mean, real skinny. Uh, and <laughs> Weren't we all? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kind of glad I was skinny now. <laughs> I was the tallest person in my class that's skinny. <laughs> yeah, they used to call me pool stick. <laughs> but, but, you know, I uh, was asked by the, the basketball coach because I was black, and obviously I, he thought I could play basketball, and I couldn't. Uh, I was actually quite awful at it. But... Uh, he asked me one thing uh, in one of the drills, and I did it, learned, you know, I changed immediately, and he thought that was quite impressive. The bottom line is I became a better basketball player. But it's interesting. I became a college, a high school star basketball player, but it was through segregation because I figured out the better I became as a basketball player, how differently the white folks treated me. Okay. Interestingly. Interesting. Okay. That so, was another defining moment for me. And I was going to ask you because you know uh, that was one of my questions because I always want to know what was one of, what would you say was one of your most defining moments? So you just said it. <laughs> Figure yeah. it out. That, that, I've had many. Which, I, I've had many. But, you know, again, Dr. B, you're talking to someone who lived on a dirt road with an mm-hmm. outside bathroom until, gosh, I guess maybe I was 14, 15. Uh, and it's so interesting because Beyonce, the greatest star on the planet, and her sister Solange, her mother, Tina, also lived on a dirt road. For her parents to have both lived on dirt roads is just <laughs> truly amazing to me. It is. It is. And something, something like a destiny. I don't know when you think about it. Um, and, you know, one of the things I do know that you went to college and graduated from Fisk with a dual degree in economics and business administration. I find that fascinating. The reason why is because being such an entrepreneur, how did did you figure you wanted to major in economics? Here you are, you're in basketball, you figure out that you get attention uh, through segregation because of being a basketball player. How did you make that connection that I'm going to major in economics and business? A dual degree. Because I always always wanted to be a businessman. When I was a kid growing up, um, I got in trouble in elementary school for selling candy. Um, <laughs> then in junior high, I had a, a 
two young kids my age. Uh, we had a, a route for mowing lawns, and it was my idea. And, you know, they actually worked for me. Um, I, in high school, worked at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Plant for two summers. Uh, I was always working, always wanted to be a businessman. Didn't quite know what that meant when I was a kid, but folks would ask you, where do you want to be? I said, I want to be a businessman. I always wanted to be a businessman. Really what I was saying was entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's so interesting. So how now you take economics and business, I'm thinking of now, and then you transition that into the music industry or the music and entertainment industry. Because I know that you, you started out working at, at a company. Uh, was it uh, in Alabama you started working out at this, working at this company and then you transitioned into being a businessman? Yeah, well, I, 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 in Alabama I worked in doing high school uh, in, uh, at Xerox, but I think you might be talking about when I graduated from college and moved to Houston from mm-hmm. Nashville and I got a job with Xerox. Right. I was talking about that. And you know what? We're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back with Matthew Knowles because I got a lot more questions to ask him and what happened after Xerox. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to my discussion today with the legendary Matthew Knowles, a man of many talents. So, Matthew, before we went on break, we were talking about you went from Alabama to Tennessee where you're working at Xerox. Did I get it right? Or to Houston? No, I I went from Alabama to Tennessee and then finished college and then went to Houston. Went to Houston, right. Okay, I got it. I got you. And then in Houston, you worked at Xerox. How long did you work at Xerox? What did you learn working at Xerox? There's so many people. There have been a lot of people that have worked at Xerox. Is that where you learned well, a lot of skills, and you learned that's where you want to get from? <laughs> I always honor and give homage to Xerox as the place that taught me a lot of business skills. Xerox was noted in the 70s and 80s also for the number one uh, country, uh, company for blacks to work in in America. Uh, and so my first year and a half at Xerox, I was in the copier division 
but then there was an opportunity for me, and I always like to tell this story, and I'll tell it quickly. So mm-hmm. I used to work late at, in the evenings uh, at Xerox. I would come early, stay late. And we didn't, we didn't have computers back there. We had ticker tape machines. And so the ticker tape machine was going off in the room, and I was nosy and went to see what, what was on it. And it was a new job position posting called Zero Radiography. And it was a great level, way higher than what I had. So I asked the general manager, could I interview? And he laughed at me. He says, you've only been here a year and a half, but it'd be a great experience, No, So, yes, you can interview. Well, it took a month before the interview. I spent a month in a library learning everything about breast cancer. However, the other 20 men that interviewed came into the interview just talking about how many years they've been there. They knew nothing about the technology. I got the job because I went to that library and studied to understand the modality and the technology. Wow. Good for you. That should be a lesson that you probably put in your book, The DNA of Achievers. (laughs) It is. How did you know? I just knew. I just know. Because from your life experiences, you poured into that book for people who are trying to develop their careers. And you got some very good tidbits out of that book. Oh, yeah. I looked at it. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. So absolutely, which gives me an opportunity to say your your career took a trajectory uh, and an upward spin from that particular point on. And how did you make that transition into music and entertainment and managing Destiny's Child? How did that come about? Well, you know, there was this 10-year period in the Mm -hmm. uh, 80s where I was fortunate to be the number one sales rep worldwide for the medical division of Xerox. Uh, Then my former wife and I opened a hair salon in Houston that in 1987, 88, around that period, we were the largest black hair salon in Houston and was fortunate to make our first million dollars then. Uh, And then I went from... Xerox to Philips to be one of the first blacks to sell MRI and CT scanners in America. And then I finished my corporate career with Johnson & Johnson uh, in a division called Codman as a neurosurgical specialist. So I took all of that knowledge of selling capital equipment. Uh, can you imagine when back then a black man would walk into neurosurgery? We're talking head and neck, and you've got to tell that surgeon uh, what it is he is needing to know to have this surgical procedure. You're going to be asked a bunch of questions, and you better get every last one of them right. Uh, so I had that background. I also had the marketing and sales background that allowed me when I transitioned, keyword transition into the music industry. I didn't just one day say I quit mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. I'm going to do something. I transitioned. I went back to college. I went to every seminar I could, you can imagine, asked every question until people got tired of me asking questions. Then I went into the music industry. And, you know, this is interesting because uh, I take notes as I'm interviewing people and I'm really seeing um, how everything that happens in a person's life, you make choices. You make choices to study hard, to really look into, look beyond and be better than the average bear, I call it, and really studying your craft, being good at what you did, but not being afraid 
to make some adjustments going back to school, asking questions. And I'm sure you put this in your DNA of achievers. <laughs> it's, it's all there. And also, <laughs> one of the things is that, uh, you know, one of my favorite chapters in the DNA of achievers is learning from failure. Uh, because I look at failure and mistakes so differently than a lot of people. I look at failure and mistakes as an opportunity to grow, not a reason to quit. And, and most people look at it as a reason to quit. I see it as an advantage when I fail and make a mistake because that's how I learn. I have never learned to become better by my successes. It's been from my failures that I've learned to become better. One of the things I'm picking up from you, too, that you learned, and that was patience. Yeah, uh, I have, to a degree, patience. The music industry uh, is is not an industry where you can be too patient. <laughs> no, uh, well, I meant patient, and in, in, in it's your... It's, not accelerating and moving ahead of, uh, ahead of time. Like I call it, because in the spiritual perspective, it's getting ahead of God. It's like you, you have right. to be in sync. Otherwise, you know, you miss something if you're trying to be in such a hurry. That's what I, that's, I guess what I was implying, and it seems like you were doing that. Yeah. I mean, you're taking yeah, time. You I, spent time in the salon business, you. in the hair business, <laughs> for, t- for 10 years. Right. So I'm just well, saying. Well, we actually, and I, well, for 17 years, we actually one day called a meeting with all of our staff. You know, the mm-hmm. Destiny Shaw had become very known, and we actually gave the hair salon to the most unlikely person you would ever thought. This, this young man who used to didn't have at first a lot of talent, but would come to work early, would stay late, would ask questions, would train, train, train. It wasn't a dry eye in the house. We just gave him the hair salon. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, that was another defining moment. <laughs> Would you say that was another one of your defining moments? Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. This is, this is so interesting. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people will be curious about Matthew Knowles. How many people really want to know just who are you really? You know, what makes you tick? What makes Matthew run? The man of many talents. And I'm so happy that you're sharing today just your heart and some of the things that you've done and really being very transparent about it. But learning from well, failure. You, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. But I'll just say, Dr. B, I, I used to be, because one of the key traits of being an effective manager is being behind the scenes mm-hmm. uh, and letting your artist shine. You know, the role of a, a true manager is... When there's failure, you take the credit for the failure. When there's success, you let your artist take credit for the success. Uh, and, and I used to live in that role. I'm not in that role anymore. Uh, and so it's time for me now to, if I don't tell my story, he will tell his story. And I prefer for it's my story versus his story. And I think that's great. And one of the things, you know, I was going to say, because you, you started to write, you've become a college professor, uh, you have switched uh, professional, you know, a career, you had an incredible career. Um, and so what would you, you know, say about your experiences, making that transition to be the college professor and in a classroom, and then writing these books. So share a little bit about your experiences as a college professor. What was that like? Sure. From going uh, uh, from uh, manager yeah. 
<laughs> to, you know, entertainment, music, managing the, being behind the scenes, taking the failures, letting your artists be successful, then it's your turn. When did you decide it's my turn now? Well, it was when one day uh, our, fa- my, our family uh, and the kids, Lange, Beyonce, and, and Kelly lived with us, so I always looked at her as my daughter as well, mm-hmm. uh, where it was time. It was time to transition out of being the manager to being a father. Uh, and so it started there. And then, I, you know, I talk about this in, in DNA of Achievers, and that is living your passion, because when you live your passion, you never work a day in your life. And I was beginning to lose my passion for the music industry in the capacity I was in, the role I was playing as manager. Um, I went back to school, something you'll, you'll see about me, I want to be an expert. Uh, what I do, and I work very hard to learn my craft. So I went back to Cornerstone uh, College, Christian and, and, and uh, Bible College in Indiana, and I got my MBA in strategic planning and organizational culture, and I got my PhD in business administration. Uh, and at the same time, I was teaching in the School of Business at Texas Southern and in the School of Communication and created a course, a degree actually, not just a course, a degree in ERM, Entertainment Recording Management, that oh, wow. uh, talked all ab- about every aspect of the record industry. Mm-hmm. And, and what I thoroughly enjoy is the classroom, and I thoroughly enjoy public speaking. I do a lot of that all over the world and just telling my story and connecting with people. Um, I never know what I'm going to say in classroom. I never know what I'm going to say on an interview. I never know <laughs> what I'm going to say when I'm speaking. It's just I kind of read the room and a uh, mm-hmm. spiritual thing happens and I always get early, get there early and talk to people and kind of understand the room and I I have this thing is in my vulnerability lies my safety. And I think people know when you're not being truthful and honest. Right. Uh, and so I'm vulnerable to people. I share my goods and I share my bads, my ups and my downs, and I don't sugarcoat them. That's good. I'm sure your students admire you for that. Now, are, are most of your students uh, older adults? Or are they young? What, are, what is the age range of your no, students? This, no, this is just, uh, these are, you know, each class has a certain criteria. Mm-hmm. So this is from freshmen to, so, to seniors. Okay. Uh, I also have taught in grad school as well, mm-hmm. um, media entrepreneurship in grad school. And, you know, I, I, I lecture around the, the country and the world. I lectured in the last six months at Harvard, at Cornell, uh, at Alabama A&M. Uh, so I, I go all over. I know you do. <laughs> I was reading about you. You know, that's what I thought about your experiences as a college professor. What do you think has been one of your remar- most remarkable experiences um, that you have gained from being in this particular profession, being a college professor? Well, I, I think one of the things I've gained is students today, and I think even back then, um, uh-huh. They want practical experience. They want to learn from someone with practical experience that's done it before. And it's not about all the degrees. You know, I went back 
to get those degrees because I thought it was important that I showed to my students that I gave the very my very all to learn as much as I could. But mm-hmm. still, what they love, I think, about me is that I teach them, number one, critical thinking. Then I teach the course. I've never taught from a book, and I don't say this with any arrogance or ego, what I'm about to say. I don't teach from a book because I am the book. Well, certainly, you certainly are. <laughs> I can tell. Many have stated, like, uh, about your comments about your book, which I really want us to kind of get into, uh, The DNA of Achievers, because you've done such a uh, wonderful job of explaining the characteristics, and I want the listeners to understand some of the characteristics you have outlined in that book that they need to develop to be their most successful. And it's a great read for self-developers. So if you don't mind, it will segue into your book, because I definitely want to talk about that book in particular, and then also Racism from the Eyes of a Child, and to find out what you're doing next. Woohoo! Because it sounds like exciting things are going on for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, one of the things, the DNA, what inspired you to write the DNA of Achievers? Was it, you know, things that you were passionate about that you had found that worked for you? No, it was actually my, so much travel I was doing, and mm-hmm. especially on airplanes and sitting to your neighbor and, you know, fortunate to sit in first class and a lot of business owners and successful people. And I, you know, the first thing, as you know, what do you do? And, and people that are passionate and, and successful love to talk about what they do. And I would just <laughs> shut up and listen. Uh, and, and I began to understand that there was a, a, a trait happening every time I asked that. And these were the traits that were coming up over and over. And I started thinking about my friends and the traits they had, which is why I had uh, a lot of them to interview, from the president of L'Oreal to go on and on. Uh, mm-hmm. That successful people, number one, their number one trait is they did what their, it was their passion that drove them. It wasn't the money. It wasn't uh, newspaper headlines. It was they were doing something that they loved, that they went to sleep thinking about, waking up thinking about, excited every day about it. Mm-hmm. That was number one. And what I also learned, what coexists with passion is work ethics. Find someone who's passionate about something, they work extremely hard. Find somebody that works extremely hard, they're very passionate about it. Unfortunately, most people don't know really what they're passionate about. That becomes mm-hmm. the number one thing. Um, and that's why I like teaching in, in, in college and in universities is that a lot of these students are there because it's what their mama and their daddy and their girlfriend and their husband and wife and best friends want them to be, not what they're passionate about. Dad says, you're going to be a doctor because he was a doctor. Mm-hmm. That never works. I promise you, it never works. Absolutely. So passion, uh, do, passion drives people. That is the number one in terms of being successful. And number two, it coexists with a worth ethic. You don't have, you know, whatever people are passionate about, you don't have to drive them to work. They love it, and they're constantly working at it. So what's number three did you find out? Well, I mean, not in necessarily order, but it's being a visionary. No, I, I'm not saying in order, but what else that, yeah. that you found? 
But being a visionary and, and, and being strategic with your planning efforts, a lot of people plan, those that do, but not from a strategic point. And from that, I'm meaning three, four, five years out and building that team that you need to have. Uh, and part of building a team is you being a leader and what leadership means. Uh, and then I, I talk about it, it, this I don't have in the DNA. This is something I've learned over the years since then that I, I, I am going to do a revision of the DNA one day. Okay. But ego, ego. Mm-hmm. What does ego really mean? It means it's the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. <laughs> Don't let me start laughing, okay? <laughs> the deadens. anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. That's what ego is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't get me laughing here. <laughs> And then the last thing not to be uh, is learning to think outside of the box. Most of us are box-in thinkers. We've been conditioned since that little five-year-old boy I talked about, that we were conditioned that we couldn't do it. You will never be a hill of beans, as they used to say in Alabama. You will never make it because you're black, because you're part of the LGBT community, because you're poor, because you're a woman, because all these reasons were that we've been conditioned since childhood that we can't do it. And we put in this box that I call box-in thinkers, we put others in this box. Our friends are just like us. If you find someone who's a hater, guess what? They have a hater in their box. That's who all they want is haters. You find someone positive, they got positive people in their box. But when you're inside that box and you try to move around, there's nothing but walls that stop you. But once you step outside that box and start thinking outside that box, there are no walls. There's nothing can prohibit and stop you from doing whatever your passion is. Well, we're going to take a quick break. You got me going now. You got me going now. (laughs) I got you going now. The the people got to get a new mindset. You got to think outside of the box. You got to step out of that box. And you got to get rid of those haters, get rid of those doubters that are in your life. And we're going to take a quick break. And we're going to be right back with Matthew Knowles and more inspirational messages and help for success. Thank you. We'll be right back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Red's. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. (laughs) 
This is Transformation for Success. To reach Dr. Barbara Young or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to info at transformationforsuccess.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, hello there, and welcome back to my absolutely wonderful and entertaining interview with Mr. Matthew Knowles, author, educator, professor, speaker. I'm calling him Dr. Daddy, father of global <laughs> dominant entertainer, Beyonce, and her sister, Solange. All right. Did I pronounce her name right? Solange? Uh, close, Solange. Solange. All right. Okay. This is Solange and Beyonce's daddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness you run Love to the it. airport and they'll ask you are you really Beyonce's daddy yeah I'm a daddy <laughs> okay well we are talking about some of the success tidbits that he's written in one of his great books the DNA of achievers and he's really done a great job of explaining some of the characteristics and I really like ego what it really means the anesthesia the an- what do you say the anesthesia that deadens the pain the anesthesia of that deadens the pain, the pain of, stupidity. of stupidity. Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> that's what ego really means. And one of the things that you talked about that I agree, that people can get in a box and really not realize they're in a box with haters and with, and it's really uh, hard, I think, for some people. I, I hate to use that word hard, but I think it's difficult for some people to step out of the box because they don't really realize that they're in a box. Right, right. They're just like, you know, they're, they're boxed in and they don't really realize it. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, too, is that do you feel that, and, and in light of all of that we're talking about, that there's a shift occurring in this country, a shift? Do you feel it or, or have you even talked about it? A little bit of a shift. No, there's, there's absolutely a shift in many ways. There's an economic okay. shift that's happening. There's a absolutely racial shift that's happening yes. in America. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and it's happening at a very rapid rate. Uh, it was always there. It just didn't have the, that one person that could ignite it. Uh, and, and so now it's been ignited. And we've got to really, really uh, speak up, speak out, speak against racism, sexism, xenophobia, quicker, sooner, faster. Well, and and that kind of leads me, you know, from DNA of Achievers, I think. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Because I really want to get on to racism from the eyes of a child. But to talk about how you kind of examine the backdrop of discrimination, you know, tracing your family's roots post-slavery from the 1800s up to the Civil Rights Movement. And I want to get into that and talk about uh, what you what you wrote this book and what do you expect the reader to gain from that? Um, but basically, I want to just reflect on DNA Achievers because I think that was a great book. And for those of you, you really need to get it because it's a great read for those of you who are still in that stage. You know you need to be doing better, not being bitter, but being better. So is there anything else, Matthew, that you want to share on that book? Before we move on to um, racism no, from the eyes let's of Let's move on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna okay. hope that people just simply go to my website, MatthewKnowles.com, okay. and and buy the book, okay. and I'll sign it and ship it to them. Okay, good. Get that book, DNA of Achievers. It's a good read, and uh, for self developers, uh, I want a copy 
autographed. I'm going to get mine personally. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, your your second book that we talked about, Racism from the Eyes of a Child, and I like the intro of From the Eyes of a Five-Year-Old. And you integrated a lot of your experiences in that book, and even including what happened to you in the corporate world and the music world. But what did you want the readers to gain from this book? And was I, I, it I, I said it. I, I really, I'm sorry, I cut you off. You were about to ask so, another question. The thing is, uh, my first question, and I was getting ahead of myself, was, was it cathartic for you? Because when you write a book like that, and it gets into such personal, intimate kinds of things that you hadn't thought about, maybe were buried, was it cathartic for you? And what did you learn about you in writing that book? Well, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, was to revisit those emotions and feelings. I, I talk about the book, uh, in the book, uh, I... I did 10 years of therapy just on racial trauma. And i give you an example. When I was 11 years old, I went to the dentist the first time. Back then, there were colored and white dressing rooms, I mean, waiting rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had an appointment at 3. After the dentist finished with the white patients, they'd go to the colored patients. Well, it's now 5, 6 o'clock. He's trying to get to dinner. Didn't really care. Here's a little kid, first time at a dentist's office. My mother wanted to go in a room with me. They wouldn't allow her in the room. They sit all of these needles. I'm hearing all of these sounds, and I'm scared. I have my first anxiety attack. And as a, a result of that, I had to go to the therapy to go to a dentist. And I've been lacking still to this day. I have fears about going to a dentist. That's what racial trauma can do to you. Wow. It's also yep. what I can understand women when they talk about 30 years something happened to them. That is real. That is true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's implanted in your mind. It's really, I understand. I understand. My first time at a dentist was something comparable to that. Well, so what do you want the reader to get out of that book? Because we are now in, honestly, you know, there's a lot going on. And as you said, racism is now rearing its ugly head, or it has been, from your point of view. It's always been there. And I don't think many people have recognized its venom. But what did you want the reader to take away from this book? It was just that. Again, it was the awareness that (laughs) racism exists. It it was the challenge to speak up and speak out. Like I said, uh, we're too quiet we're way too quiet about what's going on in America today. And, and one of the way our voices are heard is going to the voting. I mean, a lot of yes. people are talking about our current president. And I, quite frankly, ask a lot of people, if you haven't voted, you don't have, even have the right to talk about it. That's right. Shut up. Mm-hmm. You didn't vote. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because we do have that right. about it. Well, and, you know, and, and that challenge, folks. <laughs> Good for you. And there are a lot of people that are challenging people, you know, and now's the time. Put your money. They used to say, put your money where your mouth is. So I say, put your money where your voting is. So, Matthew, right. you know, I know that you have so many talents and we're running out of time. I'm going to have to have part two with you. And you're planning I'd love to have part two. I want to have part two. We got to get part two. Um, actually, I would love I that. On, I want you on TV so we people can see you. Um you're, you're, you're planning some new things on the horizon, and I understand you've got an upcoming 
is it play that you're doing with Jay Carrier's Musical. Yeah, a musical, musical oh, with Jacarius. He's a Houstonian as well. Uh, it's Destiny's Child Survivor, um, a musical musical that uh, we hope that the, the have uh, up and running in February, which is Black History Month. We'll start oh, in Houston. Great. Uh, almost, I've been working two years on uh, Destiny's Child, an untold story. Um, you know, I should have that ready um, somewhere, you know, and again, being strategic and putting all of this Dest- Destiny's Child products together. We have the f- first uh, unreleased album of Destiny's Child when they are called Girls' Time. So we have book, we have um, a record, we have a musical, uh, we'll have new merchandise oh, wow. all packaged together. So, you know, the next 12 months uh, to... 24 months will be a lot about Destiny's Child. Uh, but I still, I, I run a, a record label, Music World Entertainment, you know, staff of 10 people. You know, most people don't know the last OJ's album uh, made here, uh, Shaka Khan and London Symphony made here, oh, uh, Earth, Wind and Fire, Cool in a uh-huh. Gang, Sunshine Anderson, built the number one gospel label, working with BET and Sunday Best. So we have over... 4,000 songs in our catalog. Uh, we have a lot to stay busy, and I'm very grateful for it. Oh, you are busy. And like I said, there, there are so much to chat about. And the fact that you're just still doing it and still, you know, and I can hear the excitement in your voice. Uh, honestly, there is a lot. We're going to have part two, sir. The incredible Matthew Knowles and the man of many talents, because truly it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show today and to share you with the listeners, knowing that truly in your own words, you are a pioneer for African-American success in the corporate world. And I just want to say from my heart, thank you for understanding the need to empower the community by sharing knowledge. So Matthew, keep the faith and the good fight, <laughs> and I know you will, and we're going to well, meet soon again. <laughs> I look forward to the opportunity to have part two. I really do. Thank you so oh, much, Dr. B, and thank you to your listeners and viewers. Okay, well, we've got a little more time here that I want to just have you share something I didn't want to forget, and that was the emancipation of slaves through music. Tell me what that is about, just quickly, uh, in your own words, because I wanted to mention that, that book. one. That book. Yeah, that book, almost, a lot of people don't realize the two years that it took to come from Africa to get to America as slaves and how mm-hmm. the impact of music. These were tribes. They couldn't communicate, and it was through music that they learned to communicate on that ship. When they got here to America, it was music that kept them alive through the day with all the triumphs and tribulations that they had to go through. And it talks about how in the lyrics of those songs were escape routes. Uh, so it takes you into a whole lot of the impact of music in the emancipation of slaves that people don't realize. We don't realize that 30% of the slaves were Muslims. Uh, and so there was different faiths and how religion was used against the slaves. Um, so it goes into that in great detail. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. So I want people to get that book too, because I think uh, you bringing something to the forefront that many people are not aware of, um, and I wasn't, and I have to be frank about it. Uh, in fact, how music still connects and ties us even to this day. Um, 
gospel music. I mean, you know, there's a genre of, you know, in the Christian community, the music that still connects us today. And I hope it's going to be music that's going to help to free us from some of the differences, from the hatred, so that we can bring back love uh, in this country. You know, one of the things I did a Facebook Live about you uh, coming on the show, and I ended it by saying to be kind and to be loving to one another. So many people are going through things, and I know listeners, some of you out there are going through some challenges. You're going through some trials. We know the economy. Everybody said it's great, but I do know that many people are suffering. Here in California, we have distances to drive. Gas prices are high. There are things that are happening. But I want you to know, as Matthew has said, there are things that you can do to be successful, and that is not not hang around with the losers and the haters, but to be loving and to smile at someone when you see them. Look in their eyes and say hello and smile. You know, it might be a person that you're saving that, their lives that day. So, Matthew, as I close the show today, I just want to say thank you so much. I have just really enjoyed this. It was a delight and a pleasure to have you on the show. You know, well, I'm going to be calling you for thank part you. two. <laughs> I, I look forward to it. I just want to share 30 seconds. The prayer that was once given to me on the back of a card, it said, pray not for a life free from trouble. Pray for triumph over trouble, for what you and I call adversity. God calls opportunity. We often share the wrong prayer that nothing bad is going to happen. That's not realistic. Be prepared and look at the opportunity inside of it. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate that, Mr. Knowles. You are terrific. And listeners, thank you today for tuning in to the show with a man of many talents, the legendary Matthew Knowles. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week, same time, same station, Voice America, with another incredible guest. Thank you. Have a blessed week. appreciate you joining us for transformation for success please join your host dr barbara young again next tuesday at 3 p.m eastern time that's 12 noon pacific time on the voice america empowerment channel or join us for our replay every friday at 3 p.m eastern time and 12 noon pacific time on the voice america business channel have an outstanding week